then let's forget what we should have done earlier and continue with what we should do now. Hi all, I'm Kyle. I'm Phil. I'm Jackie. And I'm Lucy. And we are the Unsociablists. And we're here to talk to you today about uh, an issue that's near and dear to all our hearts. You may have noticed our extra guests today. Those are our significant others. Yeah, we're talking about not just the the way that capitalism puts us through the ringer on mental health, but also kind of our personal dealings with that system. We thought we'd uh, sit down and have a little chat with them about coping with that in the day-to-day. Which I guess leads us right into how did you, uh, f- what was your like first moment of realizing you struggle with uh, that day-to-day anxiety? Um, I lived with a mom that was an addict from a young age and worrying about her kind of trained that within me. You know, I always had to worry at night, like what was going to happen or uh, when I was at school, what was going to happen when I got home. There was a lot of that that really trained and um, I guess heightened my anxiety to kind of being planted in me as a as an adult. I I think I had my first anxiety attack probably when I was like 11. Really early on. Yeah, really yeah. early on. But I I also should bring up that I um I have I was diagnosed with ADHD like in, when I was in like second grade. Um so that is a big uh for people that like study anxiety, that's a lot of times something that goes hand in hand ADD or ADHD. Um, so I was actually diagnosed with that like in second grade and was put on medication. So that kind of kind of goes hand in hand within my like mental health experience. So how about you, Jackie? What was your anxiety origins? I don't really know. <laughs> um, I feel like looking back, it's easier maybe to tell now. Um, I grew up with a single mother who raised four of us and there was a lot of drug abuse between my father and uh, my brother when he was in his early teenage years. And I don't know if it was just a combination of the stress from all of that. Um, it, It wasn't until recently that I learned that my mother also deals with a lot of the same things. And I'm not sure if it's something that's, you know, hereditary, genetic, but I don't know if it was just kind of feeling in a way what she was going through, even though I couldn't understand it at the time. It's like, it's but for like, I guess it's for both of us. Like, it's really hard to kind of like look back as to the first times you had those feelings. And generally it's because you cared for another person so much, you know? I can't pinpoint when the anxiety really started. I was always a really quiet kid. I didn't really like people a lot. I didn't really have a lot of friends because trying to, like, talk to someone and start that friendship was really difficult with my anxiety. The first time that I can recall having a panic attack, I think I was eight or nine, and it was before school. I was having a really rough time for whatever reason, and I didn't want to go to school, and I didn't want my mother to go to work. I wanted her to stay home and hold me. <laughs> and I remember having just like a full-fledged melt- meltdown and she had to take her perfume that she would wear and spray it on um, a piece of fabric so that I could keep it in my pocket at school and smell it when I started to 
you know, go down again. I remember, like, objects. My mom would do the same thing with objects, too. Like, when I was, like, when there was a test happening or I would do this, the same thing would happen where I'm like, I fix it or do whatever I could so I didn't have to go to school that day. And my mom, I have, I had a blankie, basically, that I've had since I was a baby. And she would, uh, we would redo the edges. And the the edges were the ones that I liked and I needed on a lot. And she used to give those to me too to take to school. That's an it's that's an interesting like how how objects can help us. Right. It's a really uh, tactile thing to kind of bring center folks who struggle with anxiety. I imagine memory is really tied to smell, mm-hmm. and it might be I guess something similar that uh, can calm people, can give folks kind of a place to to tie themselves to. Yeah. Smell is also a big thing for me, like smelling my blanket. I still do that. Like I still have it and all I, I full out, I still have my blanket and I still smell it and it relieves stress. That's awesome that you have that in the, that uh, outlet. It's just interesting as, you know, growing up with like just how those, those memories kind of link to, you know, our mental standing um, and what smells and feel like the touch of it would do, you know, I don't know. Jackie, if you like felt the fabric, like the fabric also ended up meaning something, but um, like feel and touch was a big thing. Yeah, for me, not really, because I I don't um, recall it being a fabric of any like significance. I think it was more just the scent because especially like she wore the same perfume all the time. So just even though no one else knew what I was doing, being able to like pull that out and smell it and ground myself was just what I needed. Have some laughs and get along and always worship Jeff. We'll all pretend America is really moving left. We'll all be happy, trapped in hell, the family bereft. Because when we spell family, we spell it with a capital F. Capital F is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Mom, with the new baby on the way and the stress of high school social life, I've been feeling like a real mess. Oh, Robbie, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, I suppose if we tighten our belts, we can afford to get you some therapy. We'll drop you off on the way to Little Ted's delivery. Thanks, Mom. Also, gross city. (laughs) Robbie Balt, Dr. Winton will see you now. All right. Hi, Dr. Winton. I'm Robbie. Please, call me Frank. This is a safe place. Okay, Frank, thanks. So what's on your mind, Robbie? Well, a lot of stuff. My parents are having a new baby brother right now. It's been kind of tough to breathe all day. I feel the pressures of adulthood looming over me like an inescapable nightmare on the horizon. And worst of all, I'm nervous to ask out my crush. So, any advice? Oh, I'm sorry. Your parents only paid for the first question. Any other insights I offer during this hour will be extra. Well, I came to you for help, so help me. That counts as a verbal contract in my book. Now, Robbie, my boy, I know it feels like it's crazy right now, but let me be frank. (laughs) Nearly every one of your peers is going through very similar feelings. 
It's a tough world out there for anyone who isn't obscenely wealthy. Just know that things will possibly maybe get better in time. Hey, did you know you're turning blue? It looks like your life bubble isn't... Huh. Oh, that was unexpected. I hope his father is running late. Think of the extra hours I can bill him for this! Um, I know a lot of folks in America in particular because of our weird healthcare system. Like, have you ever had any kind of experiences with, uh, you know, the mental health care services in America doing something where they gave you? Because um, I know when I was really young, um, my first counselor, my first therapist gave me a game that I played. And it was about all these little ants that would like climb on top of you and you had to flick them off each and every one of them and they were the bad thoughts because obviously I'm not I'm not so anxious as I am depressed um but the the thought was to flick off these ants that you would you would essentially get rid of the a, a tactile version of getting rid of the the thoughts that were that were bringing you down is there something similar that you ever ran into with medical professionals trying to help you my personal experience with therapy has been fairly limited outside of uh, my time in college when it was free. I really haven't uh, had the opportunity. I mean, as I said, I was diagnosed with ADD when I was when I was in second grade and put on medication at that young age. Um, but with uh, my mom ended up getting in trouble for the drugs that she did. So um, the, our, the spotlight was kind of on our family. So we did like family counseling, which turned into my own counseling which later was stopped and then we moved. And then I got on, med I was on medication when I was 13 uh, for, for anxiety. Um, and that was a really, like, they made me really jittery. And I had like a time when I passed out and that was when I was probably 13. And my mom's like, okay, no more medication. Then I was not on medication again until I was, in, until I was 16. I've had lo like actual loads of counselors in my life. And some were, some were really horrible because they would, tell my even though they weren't supposed to they would like tell my family what i said to them um such a weird thing to do i've also had really great ones um people that i felt like cared um they didn't have like a motive to continue and make money i've had i've had ones that trying to just trying to kick me out the door kind of saying okay we think you're done and i'm like i don't think i'm done <laughs> um I would say some of the the best counselors like were the ones to try to give me tools, but still do it in a light way to make me feel like I it was this was not caused by me. Like the ones that really like holding me accountable was a necessity, but also doing it in a way that like didn't make me feel awful about myself. Being able to give constructive tools that still didn't make me feel like being knocked down because I feel like a lot that that my anxiety entails is like overthinking what people say to me all the time and going like five steps ahead having a counselor that kind of can work through those those ideals um has always been kind of helpful but i mean i haven't had a good counselor like that, that in a while like i tried in college and the, the, co the college uh counselor didn't believe in medication like at all like any oh, kind of anti-anxiety medication um i had the same counselor we <laughs> went to the same college and that was an unpleasant experience. It was a horrible experience. I feel like college counselors are all pretty bad. <laughs> I think it's really hard to find like consistency in, in like the mental health field. Um, I feel like it's also hard to the other way around to feel like you're not going to a counselor or a psychiatrist that's 
not going to push medication too, because as we know, they're like receiving money if they, if they prescribe certain medications, basically, right. um, they get hyper advertised and, you know, pharma's got a lot to do with it. So I also have had a couple issues where I felt like I would like medications were pushed on me and I've had a bad like experience with that too. Yeah. They're going to the same kinds of conferences that a lot of doctors are going to where, mm-hmm. you know, they have booths for pharmaceutical companies trying to sell specific drugs. I guess there's benefits. It's not, they're not receiving money. They're receiving benefits. From right. That. Right. They get to have, you know, the personal jacuzzi at the, uh, uh, conference hall thing, you know, it's yeah. basically like bribes in the same way that like campaign contributions are. It's not necessarily a bribe because it goes through a few layers of obfuscation. How do I even say that word? In any case, we know the deal. I've had really good and really horrible experiences, both both with medication and and uh, with just mental health care in general. Today, depression and anxiety affect over 40 million fine members of our American workforce. Has this ever been you? <sighs> I just feel so fucking run down. This job is awful, and I have no incentive to come in other than the threat of starving. Guess I'll just work at a snail's pace and get through the day. Well, that was all in the past. Say hello to the future of our fine workplaces. Profitall. This revolutionary new pill will take your dreary workday and turn it into the highlight of your life. My boss gave me Profitall. Now I'm shredding our dodgy tax evasion evidence with record efficiency. <laughs> Profitall is specifically designed to combat the negative feelings associated with soul-crushing environments, feeling underpaid and undervalued, and hating the work you're doing. I got prescribed Profitall. Now I love coming into work. Getting screamed at because someone thinks they didn't get enough mustard is absolutely worth less than $8 an hour with Profitall. Oh, what's that, Mr. CFO? Worried that the increased productivity won't balance out the cost of buying Profitall for your employees? Worry not. Profitall is secretly billed from your employees' paychecks. They will be so content, they won't even notice. Hmm, I thought my last paycheck was a couple hundred more, but I guess that doesn't matter. Coming into work is its own reward. Profitall is time-released, so the effect should wear off as soon as your employee clocks out. Additionally, as soon as it wears out, it will leave your drones even more miserable than when they came in. Well, I'm headed home for the day, boss. Oh, fuck, I feel awful. I wish I could just work all day. It's the only time I'm happy. I wonder if my boss will let me work another eight hours just for an extra dose of Profitall. Profitall comes with bonus uses of negative side effects. It should not be taken by pregnant women or the frail and elderly, as it causes system failures in those with weaker immune systems. I just had a miscarriage right here on the sales floor. I guess that's goodbye to maternity leave and hello to more Profitall. I've been working here so long, there's nobody left in my life for an insurance payout to go to. Well, this profit all does make it feel like life is worth living. <laughs> so remember, if you want the future of America to be about human rights, you've got it wrong. If you want the future of America to be all about profits, profit all. Uh, in terms of horrible experiences with uh, our mental health care services, I know Jackie has uh, a lot of firsthand experience with that very nasty underbelly, but I don't know if you feel comfortable sharing that at all. Um, so I 
didn't see a counselor through my youth. I never voiced that I had issues or I felt like, you know, I had anxiety or depression. And I don't know if it was something where people close to me didn't see it. They didn't want to see it. I'm not quite sure on that. The first time as an adult that I voiced that I had some serious issues, including suicidal tendencies, was about a year and a half ago. And um, my workplace ended up paying for me to go see a counselor, which started out like really good. But then I think I think it was only a few weeks. It's hard. It's hard for me to remember the timeline. Really, I think it was only a few weeks after I had gone only a few sessions when we started. I'm sorry. Take your time. No good. No worries. Safe place, like we said. We started delving into things, especially with my father. Um who had just, like, passed the year before, and we had a really rocky relationship that I had started, like, coming up. I was doing better. We had had a few sessions, and then we started talking about him, and it was like a nosedive back down, and I ended up going through a really rough time and having, you know, feeling suicidal again. And... Phil had come over to my house because I wasn't answering my phone. I had, I think I had put it on silent. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And we ended up having a situation where I tried to drive him home. I was obviously very not okay. And um, he called to speak with that counselor and she told him to call the police for a wellness check all while calling me and after I reassured her that I I just wanted to sleep I wasn't going to try to kill myself uh, and her assuring me that she would hang up the phone that everything would be fine I would just go to sleep she then told him to call the police they ended up showing up and in a way, not forcefully removing me from my home, but essentially forcefully removing me from my home by telling me that if I didn't come with them, that they were going to put me in the back of the police van and take me. Like, I had no option at that point. And I was taken to a local hospital. Wasn't told where I was going in the slightest. Just was driven to a hospital. Of course, I had only been living in the area for two or three months, I think. So I had no clue where I was going, and it ended up being, I'm pretty sure, a reincarnation of, like, hell. Um, I'm, like, 100% sure on that. It was... It was not a good situation in the slightest. I don't think I've ever met people who have such little compassion in my life. I remember being in the ER, and... You know, once it was obvious that they were not going to let me go. Like, I wasn't leaving there. I was being held, you know, for a psych evaluation. 
I remember telling the nurse, like, that I needed to call my boyfriend because I had cats, and we didn't live together, and I needed somebody to feed my cats. And I remember her looking at me and saying, I know you're lying, but we're going to give you the phone anyways. And I really, I really wasn't lying. I had cats, and I wanted to make sure that they were okay. <laughs> but just being just, like, treated like a prisoner, like I wasn't even human. That I was obviously lying for some malicious reason. Just made me feel like absolute shit. And it just started the whole process of... You know, going up to the psych ward and being treated like I was subhuman. Not being allowed to go to the bathroom by myself. Which I feel like is like one of your basic, you know, things is just being able to have privacy for that. And I wasn't allowed to go to the bathroom by myself. I wasn't allowed, you know, they came around our rooms and they checked on us every 15 minutes, which like I understand, but like being given medication that I wasn't aware I was being given that made me feel drugged um, because I wasn't told I was being given anxiety medication. I was only told I was being given something for my depression. Um, being told by the nurse that if I didn't take the medication that they were going to send me to a facility. Not being able to talk to my mother or reach out because you people could call in to the ward to talk to you from anywhere but I was only allowed to call out to local numbers so the only person I was allowed to call was my boyfriend and then I had to route through him to like call my work and talk to this person so that this person could go on my Facebook and try to reach out to my mother and get her number or give her the number for the hospital so that then she could call. And so by the time, because I didn't want to take the medication, I thought that I had a right of, you know, refusing the medication. But by the time it took for somebody from my family to contact me to tell me that I had rights not to take that medication, I had already taken two doses because I was being told that if I didn't, they were going to ship me off to some facility where I was going to be long-term. And, with, like, even though logistically that doesn't make sense, you know, you have rights, you have a family who would be there to defend you when you're in that position. It's scary. And being told, hey, we're going to send you off essentially to, like, a prison. You're going to believe it. So I took the medication and I ended up you know, taking an anxiety medication that I wasn't told I was going to take that made me feel drugged, which in a place like that is not something you want to feel. Like, I, I do still have nightmares about being back there. All right, we might need to take a little break. If you guys want to take five, real quick. It was it was not a friendly place, and it does not seem like anything remotely conducive to making people feel mentally better. But that's that was the point: is that they their goal was not 
to help you at any point. Their goal was to ship you to a long-term facility and keep the numbers going. And I know that because there was never any sort of activities or people that came in to help rehabilitate you. You spent your whole day in your room, which is what I did. I spent my whole day in my room sleeping. Or you spent your whole day down in the cafeteria. I think they usually had the Hallmark Channel on. A whole other type of torture. Yeah, there was literally nothing to... There was no counseling. There was no one coming to talk to you about what was happening with you. The only thing I recall is a lady who came in. It was called music therapy. And I think it was my second day there. And I was so excited because I was like, oh, somebody who actually knows what they're doing, who maybe went to school. And I went down there and it was a lady with a Bluetooth speaker. And you would tell her what song you wanted to hear, and she would play the song on her Bluetooth speaker. That was music therapy. And I remember when she went to leave, I looked... (laughs) It was not the nicest thing, but I looked her right in the eye and said, what did you go to school for? Because I'm not sure what the fuck just happened. Like, I'm not sure what you're getting paid for, because I'm pretty sure a five-year-old could do that. The crazy thing about your experience is, like, when you're already, like, not feeling human... To even go through a more, like, traumatizing dehumanization process is, like, like it's unimaginable. Like, professionals, like, right. do their part to make you feel even less human than you already feel at Seriously. the moment. And, of course, for all the hard services they put in helping her, she ended up getting footed with a multiple thousand dollar bill. Yeah. What a shit system we have for anybody who's, like, anybody who has any kind of health care uh, needs is going to get screwed over. But in particular, it feels like we've completely ignored the the needs of those who who are struggling with anxiety or depression or other kinds of, uh, you know, mental health issues, right? Like, I know, you know, not to distract from what we're talking about, but my grandmother uh, was diagnosed when she was, when my dad was still really young, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia and she was put away for a while. The fact is that later on, you know, as the DSM kind of figured out a bit more about the actual, you know, diagnoses that they were giving people is that she actually just had depression, but they would lock her away and drug her up. And she was never the same, apparently, because um, this the system completely ignores that. There are needs beyond, you know, getting people back to work. There are needs beyond just, like, pushing them through to the next level where you can get more money from them for being in long-term care. Well, uh, so what all uh, medications and what uh, – I mean, I don't want to ask specific brands, but, like, I know you guys probably take both uh, some medications. Uh, what are your uh, experiences with medication in general? Let's start with prescription. Should we just go around the room? Yeah, I can start because I'm on it. I've been on it forever. Like um, back when I was a real little kid, like I, you know, when we were asking the question earlier, like how do you, when was the first time that you figured out you were struggling with your specific diagnosis? Part of the things that I, I have a problem with is that in general, my memory is just total shit. And I think it's largely because of my depression kind of locking things away. So I don't recall exactly what, 
time I first got it, but I do remember that back when I was in fourth grade, I was getting bullied really bad, kind of vaguely remember it. And I remember going into the psychiatrist who uh, gave me my first antidepressant. And I was like, we switched around meds until I was like 19. And now I'm on escitalopram forever. Like, I'm just never going to stop taking it because the second you get dependent on SSRIs, it just becomes such a chore to come off of them. But yeah, I'm on antidepressants. And that's like that and fish oil to keep me alive. <laughs> so as I said, I second grade, I got on ADD medication for the first time. So I was put on Adderall. Um, I went yeah, Adderall. Ever, Party drug. Yeah. <laughs> ever. I mean, I was literally like, uh, how old are you people when they're in like second seven? grade? Yeah, I Yeah. And I, and I didn't stop taking ADD medication until I was in college, until I was like, wait. I can probably be fine. I can still do what I need to do without this. You know, it doesn't make you feel great. There's there's, there's nothing about really, in my opinion, that ADD medication makes you feel great. Um, Especially the come down. Yeah. Yeah, well, that. Um, and then when it starts to work, like, you're, like it fa- fastens your heart rate, although you feel like you can focus. It's like when you when you drink, like too many too many coffees and you you know you gotta crack yourself you gotta you know you and then and then you feel like you're talking a mile a minute there's just there's a lot of those effects and i've been on what was it uh ritalin adderall i haven't been on ritalin i i think i probably have been on um probably five different kinds of add medication in my life and then i don't remember when i was on when i was 13 when i first started taking like anti anxiety medication but whatever it was um i was on it for like two days and i remember having really bad jitters in in class uh just not really shaky and just like unstable and then i got a cold and i think i probably took like a tylenol before i went to sleep i realized that something just wasn't right and then i ran to my parents room um and then i went smack right on the floor and just passed out and my parents came and picked me up, taking them, taking me to their bedroom. And then on my way there, I smacked, was out of it again, completely passed out. So that was the end of that for a while until I was having issues when I was 16, um, where I was put on Celexa and stayed, stayed on Celexa. I'd also, at that time when I was 16, been put on Trazodone because um, for night for the nighttime because I couldn't sleep. A lot of times people are put on that during the day, like if they're putting on antipsychotics kind of situation, um, it really just puts, just, just knocks, it's knocks you, yeah, yeah, it just knocks you out. But it, it's, that used to be like, it used to be a depressed, like an antidepressant, like way back in the day that they realized people can't exactly survive if they're zombies. Right. So I was, I was put on that at night. Um, and I also got off of that when I was in college realizing that maybe I can well discovering we did a lot for that when it came to being able to sleep um so I just I I said I don't it also with that medication you wake up and then you're drowsy like you cannot get out of bed and I already had issues with that I'd always had issues going to sleep and then issues waking up so I decided that the ADD medication and the like the horse drink one, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the crazy, the, the crazy sleepy medication had to go out the window because I did not feel good and it wasn't working with my lifestyle. But Celexa was one that kept me pretty stable. But other than that, that's it, which thinking about it, I've been on, been through pretty much a gamut of medications and 
it's funny because I looked at how, what medications I was on when I was on like trazodone, ADD medicine, uh, the antidepressant. Um, and then when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, what medications I was on for that. It's supposed to be a big no-no to take a lot of like those medications together. But for some reason, I Sorry, was... my coffee machine. <laughs> no worries. I was... Allie, stop licking yourself. It's gross. But... And I can hear it in the mic. But when I was like looking up, I'm like, I wonder like if there's anything like, like you're, you're technically not supposed to be on that mix of medication, but, um, I was, um, so I was definitely not feeling, not feeling great for a while. Uh, it's fine. Your liver will hold out until you're no longer a viable member of the workforce. Yeah. And that's all I, I need you for. I made the decision myself to stop, to, to, to not take it and to not take certain, certain ones anymore, especially because of just how zombified i felt and yeah it's like one flew over the cookies nest and it was people there was a time was totally that I, I felt pretty pretty horrible also it's just hard to keep up a medication schedule when you're on so, on so many at once um but that has basically been my my medication history it's uh, it's quite a rap sheet it's quite a rap sheet and it's, it's crazy because it started when i was in like second grade yeah, my, mine actually also started uh, third grade, actually, but I was part of that generation of every kid has ADHD. So my parents had one single appointment. The therapist, it was 10 minutes long, I think, thereabouts. The therapist was like, yep, look, here's a Ritalin prescription. Get out of here. Now, of course, I actually had autism spectrum disorder, but no one knew about Asperger's when I was a kid. That just wasn't a thing. <laughs> the 90s were fucked. Uh, but yeah, and then, of course, I had one more appointment later on the line when I said I didn't like my Ritalin. They took me to one more appointment. The guy's like, uh, how about we try Adderall? And that was basically the whole appointment. And then Jesus I was on Adderall Christ. until college, and then I'm like, I'm going to wean myself off of this. Yeah. And then I haven't – so yeah, and then ever since, I really haven't done prescription medication. I probably should, but eh. Um, backtracking just a minute, hearing Lucy talk about the zombie medication – I'm about 100% sure that that was the anti-anxiety medication that I was given in the hospital. Yeah, I hear they do that a lot. Yeah, the term zombie, like tranquilizer, that is 100% what I felt. I felt like I was catatonic, like, because I took it shortly before Phil came, the first day to visit, and I remember sitting across from him and him, like, talking to me and feeling like there was two, like, timelines. Like, I was in the present, but then also, like, I was lagging behind everything that was happened like happening at the same time and i remember when he went to leave going to the nurse's station asking her what they had given me and she told me the antidepressant which is what i'm taking now and then the second one i was like yeah i don't want that one ever again because i mean the only good which is not good but is i slept really well that night that was probably like the best sleep I've had in my life because I remember I fell asleep in someone else's bed and <laughs> they came and moved me and she's like you're in the wrong bed and they had to move me like two doors down I was like okay cool like and I just went back to sleep like it was a really good sleep yeah it could it could have been Xanax or Trazodone usually that's like the most widespread I don't I don't remember that. it being Xanax because I feel like it was a it was a medication that I had never heard of before like it wasn't anything that I had heard in pop culture or yeah. anything. So there's, there's probably a good chance. Did it make you hungry? Um, just asking. Not that I recall, no. I just remember, like, <laughs> when when it worked for to get me to sleep, I would just, like, fall asleep with, like, a bag of chips, like, eating. Because mm. it made me hungry, but I was too tired to, like, get up to eat most of the time. <laughs> um, so I just, like, would fall asleep with a bag of chips. Um, 
Yeah, it's a crazy, like, it's literally a crazy medication. It honestly, like, if you look it up, has, a, has an extraordinary history of, like, what it was used for. They only put me on it because my mom was on it at night, which was not necessary with somebody with, like, an opiate addiction. But right. um, that's, so since she had a, an okay effect from it, they said, oh, you probably will be fine, too. And they put me on it. And I really disliked because I couldn't get out of, like, it was hard for me to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what it was like after that night. Um, I feel like there's a lot of blottiness in my visit. I'm sure I dissociated a lot of it. Um, so I don't remember what the effects were the next morning. I just remember, like, sleeping soundly and... I remember them trying to give it to me the next night, and I was like, no, I told her I wasn't taking that, and I remember telling me, well, if I, if we um, catch you up doing anything, which I don't know, like, what that means, what am I not supposed to be doing, but um, then you're gonna have to take it, and I was like, okay, but I'm not, so. Yeah, so, if we catch you stepping out of line, we're gonna hit you with the tranks again. <laughs> exactly. But um, currently, the only medication I take is the antidepressant that I was um, prescribed. It was citalopram as well um, while in the hospital. And I remember um, a few months after coming out of the hospital, trying to go off of it, trying to wean myself off of it. And that was not a good situation in the slightest. So it's more than likely uh, something I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. Well, they really make a prescription medication in not just this country but uh, any big pharmaceutical construct they really make it as complicated as possible huh on the other extreme you've got plain old it's it's weed weed is weed so uh in that vein what all do you do for self-medicating because i know plenty of weed from plenty of weed and more booze than i should on my front i so when i was younger i had like horrible anger management issues like that was part of kind of you know, the hopelessness, the helplessness that comes with depression and like kind of a, you know, because I wasn't a popular kid also, like I just kind of had like a chip on my shoulder. It was like when I started smoking weed, like a, a serious game changers, like I don't have anywhere near the kind of anger issues that I used to have. Um, I sleep for real now, like I used to never be able to go to sleep. Now I actually can fucking sleep. I use weed pretty sparingly, but I do use it as like a, you know, not just a party. I I like to smoke weed just kind of recreationally, but for the most part, I'm using it to help me get over my depression and get into bed on time. And then I drink, but that's mostly social. I mean, I hang out with you. (laughs) Yeah, my drinking social too, because I'm in this house with Jackie. It makes it totally okay. (laughs) I never drink she's doing it my dog. She's doing her own separate thing. Yeah, the cat, see? Perfect. Totally, totally not alcoholism. Uh, yeah, no, I know you were talking about how uh, wonderful weed was in your life, Lucy, when you first yeah, met it. Yeah, yeah. I was really like the bad, I really liked the bad kids in school. Um, so I like... She was the, one of them. The first time I smoked weed, I was like 14. But, um, you know, I didn't really use it as... Um, as a like a, a sleep like a sleep aid basically i guess until college and you know my like my biggest issues i mean is sleeping like sleeping is something that my anxiety that like does not let me fall asleep at night most nights i have issues where i cannot fall asleep and 
weed has been, I guess, for for multiple reasons, because the Crohn's disease and, and the anxiety. But you know, you you smoke you smoke weed at night, and a lot of your body calms. Uh, there's a lot of calming effects, and then you you get a better sleep a lot of the time. So I've been using it definitely just at night, unless like I'm with friends, like not just Kyle, but like when I'm with when I'm with other people, I'll do it during the day, and it's great and it's fine. It's great for anything, but uh, it definitely is a big helper when it comes to like the nighttime struggles. Um, and then waking up a little bit more refreshed in the morning. Like, I don't know what I would. <laughs> big game changer. Yeah. It's a bi- it was a big game changer for me. Like, like Sarah Payton. Mentally, yeah. Like, <laughs> sure. I'd say that that's uh, probably fairly true for you. Yeah, Jackie? I mean, probably a good 75% of the time that I'm, like, not working or visiting my mother, I'm probably smoking because even days when I'm at a very low point, it at least brings it up a few notches where I'm not feeling so detrimental and that's like that's literally all I'm looking for (laughs) is to not feel that extreme low on the whole what what all would you say uh, each of us prefers I'm I know I'm definitely a self-medicator through and through but uh do you prefer your prescription drugs and the work they do or the uh the fine quote-unquote illegal or illicit substances that still uh, get the job done if you got a card, it ain't that illicit anymore. It's only illegal I don't in like half card, the states. But... <laughs> I mean, I guess that's a hard one because I feel like if the mental health system in America was better, um, I feel like I would be a little bit more widely open to trying maybe a, a different SSRI that doesn't have certain effects. Um, I'm sure if the medical, if the mental health system was better, there'd be other medications that aren't pushed by big drug companies. So we probably have a better, a better supply of those medications or even, even using something that's not that I'm a like huge believer of holistic medications, but I also think that we can be a little bit more knowledgeable about what these medications are doing to our bodies in general. And I think there's probably some medications that won't have such hard effects but as of now it's it's of course like weeds the weeds the better one i would say out of the two kyle weed drinking or your actual real drugs like i think there's a point to having it just like you know i've mentioned before like having an ecology of tactics to take on capitalism like having an ecology of tactics to take on your own personal demons like uh depression or anxiety is important but I'm going to say, like, the reason I'm on SSRIs, I know that they definitely have helped me in the past, but the main reason I'm on them right now is because if I go off them, my life will just, like, cease to be livable because of the withdrawal symptoms. Not even just because, you know, my depression might come back with a vengeance. Because I honestly think that the biggest change that I've, you know, the biggest positive change that I've had to my depression is a direct result of, like, You know, not only just becoming more of my own person as I got older, but also like having weed as like a, you know, something to to level you out and something to give you a bit better, more natural uh, high that doesn't require popping two pills every day, just so you kind of like don't get excited or don't get too sad. You know, it's more that I just want to... Like Lucy said, I'm not like, you know, I'm not the biggest into Believer. holistic cures Don't or whatever. Don't believe it's going to cure cancer, you know. Right, you right. Know. You're not going to cure cancer with crystals. But 
you know, if even if it's a placebo that makes you feel better, I think that there's a point to having those kind of natural holistic ideas, you know, cures or not cures, but, you know, treatments and weeds, just the one more one more thing that helps you with that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting how uh, the quote unquote most government approved medicines are also the most dangerous to stop taking. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah and, uh, Jackie, what would you say? I don't really know which. <laughs> I I mean, I would prefer if I could not take the medication at all and just use marijuana. Um, but at the same time, I don't have any experience taking both of or them separately from each other. Um, I started, I was introduced, you know, to weed at 23 and was more regularly taking it at 24. And that is... It was literally within a few months that I started regularly taking the antidepressant as well. So they've always been together. Like, I've never done one separately for a long period of time without the other. So I don't know how how one affects me by itself without it being with its friend. Yeah, the, the whole time I've been smoking, I've been on antidepressants. So I'm not sure exactly what the individual things would be. Or I, I guess I know what the SSRIs would be, but I, that was back when I was a teenager. So a lot of things have changed in my body since then. Yeah, it uh, definitely uh, is tough to divorce the two when they've, you've always known them together. I, uh, Like I said, I pretty much exclusively self-medicate, so it's easier for me to say that I would rather avoid prescription drugs until they get better. But, you know, that's outside looking in glass is always uh, easier mm-hmm. to, to take that stance. <laughs> And now, a series of chats with your inner depression in the workplace. Man, I just need to get through this shitty day. Well, guess what, asshole? You still got six hours left. Not that it matters. The way you work, you wouldn't get it done in 60. Uh, not you again. Look, I'm just trying to keep my head down, make it through the shift. I really don't need you judging everything I do. Well, you should have thought of that before you decided to be literal human garbage, huh? Hey, no, what the fuck are you doing? Turn off that podcast. You're going to listen to me shit all over you, and you're going to like it, you fucking freak. I'm sorry, man. I was just trying to... Wait, why am I apologizing to you for trying to feel a little bit less awful? Because you know, deep down, you deserve to feel bad. You're a subhuman piece of garbage, and everything you do is pathetic. Yeah. I... I suck. Damn straight! Now buckle up, Sparky. We got hours of this left. And now, at home with recreational drugs. Hey, you. You're the, the, the bish, bish playing video games. You suck. Really? That's the best you can do? I, I know I suck. Doesn't bother me. That's the worst you can come up with. Oh, I'll show you worse the... the you're wasting time. You should be, I don't know, reading or something. Yeah, video games aren't the most productive, but I'm not hurting anyone, and I'm enjoying this distraction from my everyday stress. Yeah, fucking nerd. <laughs> you know, I bet, I bet you're really dumb and boring and stuff. You can't form cogent enough insults to bring me down. You know, come to think of it, I just use the word cogent. I better keep my brain power limited, or he's gonna get nastier again. 
I'll be real mean and nasty. Oh, oh, I just love a good one. You're the... <laughs> did you just... Did you just pour whiskey all over me? You ass. Now you're gonna get... <laughs> Fuck, man. What was I saying? And now, taking prescription antidepressants. I say, lad, you have remarkably low self-esteem. I shall foist this upon you in quite uncouth ways. Man, I know you're trying to be mean to me, but it's kind of hard to hate that accent. You spineless cur, I assure you, you offer little merit to society, and your loved ones care not for you. Kind of mean, but again, that accent. You know, I, I think I'm going to be okay. For now, perhaps, but in time, I assure you, I'll regain my crueler demeanor as I become adapted to this odd pill you've ingested. Additionally, you remain loathsome. Well, I'll enjoy it while it lasts. Maybe I'll die of liver failure when this dosage gets high enough. I guess I could mix it with the alcohol. A drunk, arbitrarily British asshole sounds pretty dang hilarious. This has been a series of chats with your inner depression. Because we've talked about a little bit of our struggles with the uh, system that we live in, like kind of what changes do you think would be most beneficial to your personal journey with mental health issues? What do you think would make this, this, this country or this world a little bit easier for people with anxiety and depression and other mental health diagnoses? What would make their lives a little easier? If it was more cost-friendly and more accessible to people who needed it 100%. If I could go, like, if I could go to therapy regularly, I would, but I can't afford it in the slightest, so I don't. I know it would help tremendously, but at this point, like, it's not feasible enough with the cost to make it a necessity, even though I know it is one. Yeah, I would say that I totally agree that the issue for so many people is that it's out of their financial means so many people who really need like maybe they do need prescription drugs maybe they do need you know a therapist or maybe they just need a couple of extra things in their support system that you know a, a safety net could provide um obviously you know we're we're a socialist podcast we're talking about things like hopefully in the world the world that I would see is that you wouldn't have to pay for healthcare. Obviously, you wouldn't have to pay for mental healthcare. You wouldn't have to pay to go see somebody who's going to help you with a a physiological problem because that's ultimately kind of where um, depression originates. You know, we we have traumas, we have personal experiences that bring them on, but the f the the insides of you that your the chemicals that are working in your brain are a, an important part of your your uh your depression and anxiety and they need to be treated just like you would treat any other physical ailment not to say that you just have to go on chemo for your brain or whatever but to say that there is 
you should respect the kind of procedures that people need for figuring out their mental health and get that in a perfect world for free. Yeah, and no, I'm, I'm definitely inclined to agree. Like, if we had a proper socialist communist support net, I would be in therapy. I would, you know, I would, I would take those opportunities because they'd be available. But uh, unfortunately, we are they are not in our current system. Um, any other like things you'd specifically change in your day to day if all mental health medicine was free and easily available? Yeah, it'd be great because that means there's no push. There, there's there's no ulterior motives usually behind. Uh, why you're prescribed a certain thing or mm-hmm. why why you're choosing this method of therapy or, you know, I've, I've been through a couple experiences where you just, it's like, do you really just, you just, you don't want to help me, you know? I feel like therapists that are really, that really love what they do and really enjoy helping people, um, they'll be able to specialize and be the best they can be in that situation. I think that would make, th- like, therapists happier it's a bit, it would change the incentives it would change how they incentivize yeah. trying to help people you know i think a lot of these things that you know why is it that americans in particular are so fucking sad and angry and ang- anxious is it because we're just built that way is it because we speak english for the most part and like english just like permeates your brain and makes you sad like i guess the people in the uk are also very sad but i think that the thing the common denominator is not our culture so much as it is the the system that we're living in which for you and I as well as for therapists all of our livelihoods are attached to wage relations you're alienated from the things that make you so happy as to help another person in in hopefully the case of a therapist Mm -hmm. is to help other people is what makes you happy um because you have this this other incentive motivation underneath it. You have these kinds of things that are alienating you from your client or from your, you know, your therapist because there's a barrier of wage relations in between both of you. You yeah. know, one has to pay the other in order to receive a service and one might be getting money from others to to sell you a service. Like in that situation, therapists, if they wanted to specialize in somebody that will help people with like acute to severe anxiety, they can get that specialization without or OCD, or certain, you know, certain trainings and certain things, they wouldn't have to spend a lot of money to get those training. It would be great experience on both sides of the, for the patient and the therapist. You right. Know? Ultimately, I do think that the biggest hindrance to people's, you know, people's journey towards a more healthy mental outlook and a more healthy life to kind of beat depression and anxiety, the biggest obstacle is capitalism and the fact that we are all so incredibly alienated, not from just each other, but also alienated from the things that make us more human, things that make us feel more self-actualized. Because, you know, we were talking about in the last episode, talking about kind of those fi- base physiological needs, like coming up against depression and anxiety, a lot of these things are problems stemming from you not being able to meet those baser needs, you know, those ones that are like, I'm worried about having shelter. I'm worried about having food. I'm worried about this, that, and the other, because the world that I'm living in is tying my, my self-worth, my self-actualization to an income. And every single part of my life is, is managed by, by money and managed by 
the people who will or will not pay me. I've done plenty of complaining on this show about my shitty union, and uh, this is a great, another great example of it. Um, so our union has four healthcare tiers, and to get the A tier, which is the only one that actually covers um, any mental health services as well as, like she was talking about, glasses and hearing aids, stuff like that, any of that stuff, the only way you're allowed to get the A tier is if you have a family with kids. Um, so if you don't have kids, then the best you can do is the B tier, and that does not cover uh, glasses. It doesn't cover uh, any kind of uh, mental health services. It's just like, oh, awesome. And, of course, even then, the B tier is also the most expensive tier, which is – the A tier is actually cheaper, but you have to have kids. Yeah, so unfortunately, my my healthcare, because I can't afford to be losing $128 every paycheck, is uh, quite a bit less cov- uh, coverage. And by that, I mean it's literally doesn't even cover a doctor's visit. And I just have to uh, go into that job each day and pretend that I am not – you know, dying inside as I do this miserable, soul-crushing work. And uh, when I actually try to make a difference, my own union shuts me down, and that always makes me feel so valid and helpful to the society I'm in. Uh, the corporate capture of the UFCW, especially in the local 655. Oh, the 655 isn't... I mean, I, I, I complain, but at least we're not the, the 550 over in Nevada. Oof. Yeah. It, it should be an incredibly... And it is an incredibly powerful union, what with fucking vegas i mean yeah the leadership of most ufcws are literal millionaires ours is the one in nevada is a uh, hundred millionaire god damn. And, uh, so it's, it's really nice when these jobs uh in america really help your anxiety uh, and depression be managed by being just so interested in your well-being all the while you're that you're there okay so your total comes to 114 dollars and 73 cents <clears throat> excuse me but my coupon for 50 cents off those green beans did not go through. Oh, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, sir, but that coupon's expired. Expired? Well, that's bullshit. You can still take it. And you just want to make my life harder. I assure you, that's not the case. I'm just not allowed to redeem this. Would you like me to take the green beans off the order? No, I want you to use my damn coupon. Well, I hate to be a bother, sir, but... Could you please stay across the glass to yell at me? There's a deadly virus out there, and I already put myself at enough risk just being here. Did you just sass me? That's it. I'm Call your manager. <sighs> of course, sir. Manager on duty to register three. What seems to be the problem here? Your awful cashier won't take my coupon. It's been expired for almost a year. Look! Now, that tone won't do. We pay you perfectly good starvation wages to be always polite and pleasant. No matter what. Now, move aside and let me do an override. I'm terribly sorry for your trouble. Let me offer you a $5 gift card for the inconvenience. I don't want a gift card. I want that asshole fired. Look, I'm sorry, man, but I never meant to be rude to you. See? He just asked me again. Don't worry. I promise you, we'll take care of it. Well, your total is $114.23. And thank you very much for shopping at Shocks. Have a great day. So, we can't actually fire you for this, but we can transfer you to another store and put you through a re-education program to make sure that that smile stays plastered on your face when you're on the clock. I don't want to hear any excuses for that kind of behavior. Don't worry, though. The four hours torch course will be paid as two hours of time. Aren't you lucky for our generosity? <sighs> yes, sir. Thank you, sir. That's the spirit. Negativity has no place in the workplace. 
If you want to commit suicide, make sure you do it at home. Uh, Lucy, I know you were missing for most of that, but do you want to talk about how the lack of work has affected your uh, anxiety? You know, before, when I when I had, uh, you know, gained full employment in different companies, it was like stage managing is like my perfect job because me being anxious about things coming up in the future because I'm a big future anxiety person. I like to plan. I want things to go as planned. So I was able to look ahead, five steps ahead, to see what an issue might be. So it was per- it was like a perfect outlet for my anxiety, stage management was. And not having that outlet has actually been a huge struggle for me because I end up, you know, overcomplicating very small things like grocery shopping or or uh, uh, other, other different uh, daily tasks become a little bit more of a struggle. But uh, yeah, I, I, I miss working. I miss doing what I do because I did it well and... Um, and, and, it, and it was just like my, the perfect partner for my anxiety. Um, so not having an outlet is just really hard. In a rough seven months. Yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine. And that actually does transition us into a, another question. What uh, outside of work, what are what all would you say are your biggest anxiety and depression sources? Because I know for me, it's basically any social interaction. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a num- like a number of social anxieties. It's really hard for me to. Um, I'm really good at service level conversation. Like when I just meet somebody, I, I've learned to adjust. So the surface level conversation comes out and it's strong. But once you start to get past that and like someone trying to get to know me and make friends with me, I, you get to know me as a person, it becomes, it becomes harder because I think it's, there's those walls and then there's that anxiety of like, oh my God, they're going to get to know the real me. They're going to hate me. So you do what I do and just lie. <laughs> You don't lie. You know, that's a, that's def- definitely a big trigger, like making friends besides just like surface level conversation, which is why we're great at bars, because like we go and be the bartender and then we can talk for we can talk for a little bit when, you know, the bartender's not busy and just like little little banter back and forth. And, you know, we kind of fulfill, feel fulfilled in that way. Right. But like talk there's the like making friends food. past that is really hard. And of course, sadly, bars don't exist anymore. Yeah, and then bars. Yeah, that one out, that one way that that worked, it doesn't exist anymore. For me, it's definitely just like when things don't go as planned. Like every, like even daily things are struggles because the past talk. seven months is a really great example of like planning and then everything coming crashing down. Oh my god, <laughs> so many plans that were wiped away in March. Yeah. Definitely a bit of a collapse. Yeah. yeah. What, would, what about uh? What would you say, Jackie? Would are your uh, outside of work are your big anxiety inducers? I probably agree exactly what what Lucy just said. <laughs> like one hundred percent social interacting. I don't outside of work. I really I don't talk to people. Like I don't do anything like that because it just makes my anxiety like a one hundred percent. And I'd rather just stay home and like talk to my cats and become like that crazy person that scares the kids in the neighborhood but also 100% things not not going as planned like I think Phil can attest to that when our car broke and like I just shut down like he I feel bad because he ends up having to like take the reins and like 
take care of it because I end up just like fully shutting down. I do the same thing. I think that you do plenty of taking care of things when I don't handle things well too. My 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 of course problem is that I have the other extreme of uh, not taking things seriously enough as a, as a way of dissociating. So I'm just like, oh, it's all a joke. It's all fine. And sometimes things aren't just all fine. In that vein, yeah, how often do you find yourself feeling compelled to pretend things are fine when they're not? Because I know, as going back to at work, there are so many times where I just want to push over the shelves and light everything on fire. And instead, I'm just like, hey, today's going great. How are you today? Yeah, fake the smile. For me, I would say probably every day, like especially... <laughs> Even though, like, Phil knows everything that, like, I go through, I still try to do it for him because I know it's hard. All the stuff that, like, I put him through, but also, like, when I talk to my mom, I don't want to worry worry her. So I try to, like, fake it, like, oh, everything's great. Um, So I would say, yeah, every day <laughs> for me. I, I think it's important. You know, with, all right, Allie, stop this. All right, sorry, our my dog, dog is just being really needy. Real needy. Really needy. Probably oh, dear, your pet. Yeah, that's okay. Grinch has been uh, Grinch has been Jackie's little support cat during oh, this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important to, to to recognize, especially when we're doing that. Like, I get incredibly uh, worried whenever I feel myself getting angry, or I feel myself getting you know heated, especially if I'm in like a working space. And you, you compensate for that by trying to be like, oh, well, I'm actually happy or, oh, well, I'm this is not a big deal or, oh, I can do this. I can get through this. But sometimes it's like, especially recently, like with with COVID, with all these extra stressors that we've had, like it's been really good for me just to be like, all right, fuck this. I'm, I'm not doing this right now. I can't steal. I can't steal myself for the the anxiety or the the sadness that's coming over me. I need to step away from this. And that's really hard for folks at work. Like it's impossible for most people to just step away from, you know, your job for five, 10, 15 minutes to just calm down and get away from it for a second because it can be so fucking stressful. I just got hired at a new place and I'm not looking forward to being, not being able to just like walk away whenever I get overwhelmed. I'm obviously super glad that I'm hired again. I'm not going to be unemployed for a little while, but like that kind of stuff, that's another stress. And it's, it's important, especially to remember that like when you have those kinds of things, like I get exactly where you're coming from, Jackie, like this whole, you know, worrying about putting other people in, in jeopardy or making people feel kind of, I don't know, maybe not responsible might not be the word, but like asking for help from folks who you feel like, you're like it's not their problem yeah Yeah, exactly i do that with my parents all the time i never i very rarely open up to them how i'm feeling but yeah it's it's a tough struggle to kind of recognize when you're putting on that face and just like let it drop because especially for people with anxiety it's such a natural thing to put up that wall yeah i like to plan through anything that comes up that causes me to have anxiety or some anxious moment you know, that's a struggle in itself because there's a chance that even planning through it's not going to work. And what about it just being okay that things aren't okay for a moment? And like, I struggle with the fact that I like to, I do a hundred percent say things are okay. We're just going to plan through it. And first of all, I have anxiety that it's not okay uh, to be upset about a certain situation. And then, and then planning through it is just a cover up. It's just, it's just, 
I, I'm just adding to my stress in general, you know. But I always like if something comes up that's a trigger for me, it's always about planning through it and just acting like it'll be fine once this happens, you know, when in theory it's not and you're not and I'm not dealing with the problem at hand. Do, do you all have any default uh, activities or situations you try to put yourself in when you're in those really rough patches that help alleviate some of that? Los videojuegos. <laughs> I also like video games. I, video games are a beautiful escape. Oh my gosh, it's... I remember back when I was really little, like, the thing that I would do was build Legos, build a building, just build a, a, a spaceship, you know, that kind of shit. I, I feel like I do the same sort of thing now with video games, with I mean, that's why I'm an editor is like, I like the building blocks thing. There's sometimes when I am not doing it for work, I'll do it for fun and for to alleviate my, my stress and anxiety. Yeah, I planning things is always a helpful thing for me. Uh, making lists, always seeing the light at the end of the tunnel when it's that's super hard, especially when I, because I have severe anxiety with dep- uh, depressive stints, basically, is what I've been diagnosed with. When the depression hits, that's super hard. But other times, I just I do everything I can to find it out uh, where it's going to be better later. And uh, video games are a big help because it just takes you completely out of the world you're living in at the moment. It at least can calm you down for a little bit and just take you out of thinking and obsessing. Right. I'm, a, I'm a big fidgeter, so I, I like to do things with my hands no matter what that is. Like, But I, I, I definitely look for the escape of the moment or planning out of a situation i can definitely relate to the immediate uh the immediate escape and um it's not the healthiest way to handle it but compulsive snacking is one of mine oh yeah, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. eating yeah i eat my feelings quite often mm-hmm. speaking of uh like projects i've gone into y'all's apartment and seen like a bunch of like you know your craft stuff and i assume that's like <laughs> yeah. a big escape yeah that's mine is um crafts and making stuff and 99% of the stuff is colorful and rainbow and I'm sh- I'm sure it's just like a coping mechanism of trying to trick my brain that like look at all this bright colorful happy stuff you're happy too you're right <laughs> right yeah when I'm 100% not that is definitely mine is trying to craft and make stuff to try to distract myself well, it's uh, it's still effective. I mean, there are definitely days where even if you're not doing well, it helps you, you know, kind of like just stay vacant. And sometimes that's all you can afford. To, all you can try to do is exactly. be vacant. Yeah, we shouldn't. Uh, there's no shame in distracting yourself from your from your feelings when when dealing with them at the moment is really fucking hard. Like there's no shame in putting it off for a few hours or whatever. Just in the same way that, you know, some people take SSRIs or some people drink or some people play sports. Like, you shouldn't feel ashamed for, for you know, putting your feelings aside for a second so you can be happy. Yeah, there's a, as long, it's it's more important to be, uh, to keep yourself going at the end of the day. Because otherwise, if you stop going, then obviously there's no fixing that. <laughs> right, right. Sensible Secret Service Agent. So, (coughs) is your mission clear? Yes, sir. We've had this conversation a few times, and spy on Biden isn't exactly a complicated order. I'm already hidden in the air vents and literally talking to you on my watch. What did you think I was up to? Hey, no lip from you. 
Anyway, just make sure you pick up <coughs> my McDonald's on the way home, because the doctor says I have to watch what I eat. Of course, sir. Now I'm approaching this briefing room, so I'll need to go dark on you. I'll be in touch. Mr. Biden, that debate went swimmingly. Anyone who wasn't an avid Trump supporter thought you won by saying less. What debate? Is Sarah Palin wanting a rematch? I'll pop her in the mouth. Oof, those brain drugs that kept him vaguely, almost, kind of verbally competent still haven't finished their detox cycle. Good thing we got that other debate canceled. Hey, Jack, there's no need for us to... The American people... Oh, I'm sorry, my time is up. It's all right, Mr. Biden. You're not on stage right now. That's a good point. Maybe he'll die. And old Donnie's been looking like ass. Thank God I found a transparent mask. He always gets so pissed when he thinks I'm wearing one. Yeah, but do you think Harris can beat Trump? I'm not sure, but I bet she'd wipe the floor with Pence. Shit, I just remembered who our backup choices are. I mean, Harris is at least the least terrible choice, so I guess I can hope for that. Mike Pence, are we still on for golf on Tuesday? Now, Mr. Vice President, you've had to act like you don't like him for the last couple of years, remember? Man, did you see that VP debate? It was awesome. Every time Pence criticized Harris, it was actually appealing to the left. Then right after, she'd open her mouth and destroy any goodwill he built with them. We will not ban fracking. <laughs> Classic. Oh, fuck, they're right. Harris doesn't stand for shit. These people all have the same goals at the end of the day. Well, thank God we are a part of the inner DNC circle. No matter how bad things get for the American public, the capitalist structure isn't going anywhere. And I get to keep getting perks from Bezos, Bloomberg, Bill, and the other B-billionaires. They're right. This country is a sinking ship. We're fucking doomed. And there's nothing I can do about it. Honestly, I really just want to end it all. It's times like these that I really hate being immortal. Sensible Secret Service Agent. All right, well, we do appreciate you both uh, being here for this. I know it was uh, stressful and it was a lot. Thanks for having me. And I guess uh, we can call it then. And um, uh, Lucy, it was nice talking to you for, for the first time in a good bit. Yeah, it was nice talking to you too. And uh, What about me? We, I, I, I talk to you literally like every day, multiple times a day. And I, I was glad to talk to you more, though. It's still I was nice. very glad. Great it's still me nice to, to hear, Philip. <laughs> I was very glad to talk to you extra today, Jackie. That's what I thought. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you for being here. And uh, I guess that's good then. Um, I hope you have a great day. Love and solidarity, y'all. Yeah, love and solidarity. What a good sign off. It can be told in few enough words. We are not certain of his intentions even yet. They talk. So I am told.